the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sitting in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Thank you for joining us on another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. I will be your host today, Kanani, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Courtney and Hillary. Hey! And just so that people understand as they're listening, it is really early in the morning here right now, and so I'm almost through my first cup of coffee it's usually after the second cup of coffee that I can start putting the words in order to make the thoughts. So I'm in order I'm, to I'm, make the thoughts. To what? make the thoughts. That's to get right. here, here we go. She, yeah. Like, great episode. What's that word? When you make the thoughts. It's I don't know. I don't know. I like I said, I haven't finished the first cup. I, I like I just kind of zombie walked when I woke up and pushed the coffee button and then I come back in the bedroom and then I put the bathrobe on. So unfortunately for anyone who watches the zombie walk, there's usually not a lot of clothing involved. And then I put the bathrobe on. And so this is actually going to be my first podcast film or recorded in bathrobe. So you said zombie, which reminded me, I had this completely meta dream last night and Hillary, you were in it again. You keep showing up in my most meta dreams. <laughs> so I dreamt that we were at, it wasn't the enchanted forest, but it was like the enchanted forest. It was an amusement park that I, I consistently visit there in my dreams. And I was telling you, I hate dreaming about zombies. And you looked at me and you said, Oh Yeah. I can understand those are really scary dreams. And I'm like, right. Zombie dreams are terrifying. And it immediately like the people around us started acting out what a zombie dream would be, but they, we weren't actually in a zombie dream. It was a dream about what a zombie dream is like. I don't even know how to unpack that. I, <laughs> I don't want to go into all the details, but I had a terrible week last week. Very terrible. Like my house is screaming for a floor wash at this point because I want the bad week to leave my life forever. It was up there in the top four worst weeks of my life. And y'all have been there for the other three. So you know how bad they are. That's kind so, of funny yeah. though. Cause it's like your brain is like, she can't handle a nightmare. So we're just going to give her a dream where she's kind of having a nightmare because we can't give her a full nightmare because she can't handle that right now. So we're going to dream about what it's like to have a nightmare. Oh, sure. Well, here's the thing is that I had the actual zombie nightmare at the beginning of the bad week. Like it was my brain or the spirit saying something's coming, you know, and in my, my zombie in my original zombie nightmare, 
like I was trying to kill the zombies with silver bullets. And at one point they looked at me and they said, you know, silver bullets are for werewolves. They don't work with zombies. Okay. People like zombie fans out there. I don't know all the zombie lore. Maybe silver bullets work fine for zombies, but in my dream, they were like, Oh no, you have the weapons for werewolves. You don't have the weapons for zombies. And I was like, well, fuck me. And so then (laughs) this is an improvement that I was just trying to, un- maybe it's my brain trying to understand everything that happened. And so it's recreating these zombie, these like people pretending to be zombies in a nightmare at an amusement park. I don't know, but that's what happened. As soon as Kanani said zombie, I'm like, Hillary, you were in my dream again last night. And here's what happened. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary's like this wise spirit guide in all of my dreams where I'm like, Hillary, I'm afraid. And she's like, I know you are. But you know what? It'll be okay. (laughs) Whereas, like, I'd be the one in the background of the theme park that was making all the zombies dance, and you pull the curtain back, like, why are you doing this? (laughs) You'd be like, Kanani, you'd be like, Kanani, what do I do? And she'd be like, you're probably going to (laughs) die. Or actually, it would be more like, Kanani's like, I don't really like this amusement park. I'm going to go get some ice cream. It would leave. Like, (laughs) that is exactly what I would do. And then, and then you'd be like, but what if I die? And she'd be like, eh, if you die, you die. <laughs> you're like, well, then you should leave. I mean, Kanani makes herself out to be like the super villain who would make the bad things happen, but you're giving yourself too much credit. We all know you just don't really care enough to oh do anything. I would just be like, this is lame. I'm going to go over here now. You're like, why are they pretending to be zombies? I don't get it. Let's go. Okay, fine. I'm leaving. Like not even trying to get us to leave. You're like, I just want to go. Bye now. I'm going to leave the creepy amusement park of your dreams where people are pretending to be nightmarish zombies. <laughs> so I have a secret. I'm going to tell you guys and our guests out across the world. So please don't tell my husband. Um, if he leaves any coffee in the house after he goes to work, I drink it. And that may not seem weird, but I'm really not supposed to have caffeine because um, it does not good things to my body. But some mornings it just calls for it. And so if he caught me drinking caffeinated coffee, I would get the scolding of my life. But when he leaves a little bit in the pot, I drink it after he goes to work. But he didn't do me that favor today. He took it all with him. So Kanani was at my house um, like weekend before last when she came over for the barbecue. And she got really upset because she went into the freezer and there was a bag of decaf in there. And she's like, why is this in your house? I mean, it was the same tone of voice as if she found a MAGA hat in my house. But oh, why, why, is, why is this in your possession? And I'm like, I cannot drink caffeine. You know this. I, like she doesn't want to remember that it's like blocked out that there's a person out there who has to, if they're going to have coffee, has to drink decaf. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> none of those things, none of those words make sense in that sentence. Well, I've told you, I said, if I drink caffeine regularly, I have absolutely like menstrual cramps that destroy me. And I'm on the couch for two days and you just look at me like, I don't see why that's a problem. I mean, come on. It's Right? You don't give up coffee for 30 days to avoid cramps for two days. Like, you you push through. <laughs> You're like, I don't think we've had the same level of pain. People have told me, people have told me that before, and I, and, I, and I believe it. Don't get me wrong. I 100% believe, because about once a month I get horrific migraines that usually last anywhere from a day to three days. And, and I've had so many people from just regular people to doctors be like, you know, caffeine really, you know, attributes to migraines, I will be damned if I'm not going to wake up and drink a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, even if I know I have a migraine or a migraine's coming, that coffee is happening. That coffee is what keeps me alive. You don't give up on your dreams. You follow your dreams. Live your dream. Follow your dreams. (laughs) Live your dream. 
I know there's like, I'll have to ask a friend. There's a, I, there's a specific type of mushroom tea that's like super energizing, but it's not caffeinated. Um, I've had it. So I had it at a, a place, uh, a little cafe here. I mean, not anytime recently, obviously, but a little cafe here. They do these like mushroom lattes, but they're like, I think it might be. I don't know what it's called. I'm not even going to try and pretend that I know what it's called. Um, but it's, but it was really good. I mean, it tasted really good and they mixed it with like some chocolate. So it was like a mocha. Uh, but it was like, it was, I mean, I felt like I had a lot of energy, but I wasn't like, I'm really sensitive to caffeine. It makes me really jittery certain types of caffeine, especially coffee, which I love. So I actually drink decaf because like coffee caffeine makes me all over the place. It makes me feel really bad. Um, but I also really like the taste of coffee. <laughs> I actually have a really funny slash pathetic coffee, sto- caffeine, coffee story. So my ex and I, when we first met, um, he didn't drink and I've, I'm a sporadic drinker at best. I'm, I, before you had children anyway. Yes. Especially before, uh, uh well, yeah, that's true. I've drank more since I've had children, but, um, that's, like that's just what children and do. alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And so he and I, it wasn't even a date. I'm going to say it was our first meet. And so it was the first time that we met and we went out for a Halloween party, just a random Halloween party. And it was, um, and it was fun. And so because he didn't drink, he had kind of switched over to drinking a lot of espresso and stuff. And they'd gotten a new espresso machine. And, uh, I had already, this was in like the height of my caffeine consumption, and I had already had that day. I used to get my venti coffees with five shots of espresso. Good fucking God. So I'd already had shots? that. Five I'm shots of espresso. I, so like, I, went, I was, I'm scared for your poor heart that had to. Oh, you have no idea. This is, this is, this is just the beginning. So that was before I went over to the house. They'd just gotten a new espresso machine and we're kind of getting to know each other and they're making espressos. I want to say I had two before oh we left. God. Then we go to this party and it was fine. It was okay. And we just kind of hung out and you could tell he and I were just kind of talking and kind of interested in getting to know each other. And so then they're like, well, what should we do? Well, there's nothing open late at night in, in Beaverton except for coffee shops. So when you can't go to a bar, so coffee shops. So we went to another coffee shop where I ordered another mocha. I think this time with four shots of espresso. Christ. And he got, I think, another espresso. And then we went back to their house where they had an espresso machine. (laughs) And I think we might have both attempted another espresso. I cannot remember. All I remember is us sitting on the couch. And I just, at that point, the room was spinning. And I was just doing everything I could not to hurl. And I just remember looking at him like, well, this sucks because I'd really like to talk to him, but there's no way words are going to come out of my mouth. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm really sorry because I actually really like you and I think you're really nice and I want to get to know you, but I am really focused on not vomiting right now. And I looked at him and I go, same space. We're good. We're all good. I'm exactly. And so we just kind of sat awkwardly next to each other on the couch doing everything we could not to vomit before I left. And that was that was the peak of my caffeine consumption. And after that, I was like, okay, gonna pitter it down. That makes gonna me like dizzy thinking about it. 
Oh, I was quite dizzy. Before then, the peak was actually a few years prior when I had stopped drinking, well, not stopped drinking coffee, but in addition to drinking coffee, I had started drinking Red Bulls. Oh my God. Yeah. I drank one and fell asleep. And then I was like, I think now I've gotten too used to caffeine because I could drink a Red Bull and fall asleep. You probably fell asleep because of the sugar crash. It's possible. Wow. I never heard that story about you and your ex. Really? That's how we met. I, I think it, I, this is terrible to say, and I could delete it if you want me to. I just kind of speak to like, Oh, a hundred percent. Like the entire outcome of the relationship. Just try not like, to just sit here awkwardly and both not vomit. Let's do that together. <laughs> shall we? Oh, I love you. You love, love me. me. Let's just go our separate ways and not vomit. You told me I have to be nice to your ex. So I won't say what and he has been very nice to us. So yes, yes, we cannot be, we're not allowed to be mean to him because he does all of our techie things, even though he sends out 50 emails. <laughs> no, but that is, that's the legit, the first night we met. Oh my God. That's sad and horrifying. I really like you, but I'm just trying not to vomit right now. <laughs> right there with you, homie. Right there with you. Right there. So what have you guys been up to lately? Well, obviously fighting zombies in my sleep. <laughs> Totes normal. Um, Totes normal. What have I been up to? Uh, I started a new job, so which is really awesome. Like I really, I really like the job, and it. But it's like you know, you're the new guy, and you're like, I have no idea what's going. You know, it's like you're just like taking on so much information. Um, but everyone's really lovely, and like you know super friendly and like, it's really nice cause it's, it's a smaller company. So it's like a very different experience than a giant corporate company. And it's kind of a nice, a welcome relief, a welcome change. Um, but yeah, you know, things are, things are really good. Um, I've been, it's been really hot here. So I've just been like not spending much time outside, which really sucks because that's what I do most of the time. Um, so that's been a little bit, that's kind of been a bummer, but otherwise, um, things are good. So Courtney, I know that you were going to talk to us about the full moon that's coming up on August 3rd. Yeah. The same day we are releasing this. So friends, if you are super on it and you listen to this today on August 3rd, then, um, you've got your plans for the evening. However, I also think you probably got a window of about another day, maybe two days. So I think this work is good up until about Wednesday. After that, things are going to shift out of here. So it is a strange moon. First of all, it is called the Sturgeon Moon here in North America. Um, so similar to Lunasa, this is a time when um, in the pre-industrial age, uh, among both Native Americans and colonists, uh, the sturgeon name was, new, was uh, named for um, at one time when the sturgeon was plentiful in lakes, rivers, and other bodies of water in North America. It is now critically endangered, unfortunately, but it was likely a plentiful food source at this time of year. It's like this giant dinosaur looking fish, probably fed a lot of people. Um, other names for this full moon are the grain moon, the green corn moon, the fruit moon, and the barley moon, which is inspired by the various crops harvested in August. So as a lot of us know that grow gardens, this is a time when things are absolutely exploding, especially if you've if you grow zucchini, it's like, I think we should call it the zucchini moon because zucchini is taking over everything right now. 
So um, it is uh, this year. This is a weird moon, astrologically speaking, for doing any magic. Um, has some of our favorite terminology. The moon is square Uranus, which means erratic behavior. Um, it is all- <laughs> Uranus. <laughs> Jesus. I'm a professional witch podcaster. I can say these things without acting like I'm 12. <laughs> no. I do not have that skill. <laughs> I can't. I can't say moon square Uranus and I can't say quincox. Oh my God. Uranus. You are a child. I can't. Oh, you try. <laughs> Sorry. Uranus. Say moon square Uranus and don't laugh. I dare you. Do it. Moon spirit Uranus. You didn't even say spirit. <laughs> 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 you said it wrong. You said moon spirit and Uranus, which is even better. <laughs> Look, it's early and I haven't had anything, any sort of caffeine. Okay. It was kind of like Hillary when moon we used to make boys. We used to go to the boys. <laughs> you can't say it. You can't. It's like when we were in high school, we used to go up to the boys and say, say panties and don't laugh. And the boys would go, they'd say panties. And then they'd go, <laughs> The only one of our friends who could say panties and not laugh was the guy who had five sisters. Yeah, he was like, he's like, yo, I'm the only dude. So <laughs> yeah, he's like panties, whatever. It's like panties, Kleenex. It's all this, you know, all that kind of stuff. But every other guy like could not say the word panties without cracking up. So <laughs> <laughs> the one with five um, sisters is like, dude, don't even try. Just don't, nothing will phase me. Yeah. <laughs> a few things would phase him, but little, little did. And, and panties were something that did not phase like, him at all. Whatever. <laughs> all right. So anyway, because of um, the conditions around the moon, um, including the moon. <laughs> Shut up. God damn you both. <laughs> moon opposite the sun. Hard work and little gain. Moon opposite Saturn, delay in plans, watch what you put into writing. So this is a weird moon, astrologically speaking, for doing magic for yourself, unless you are planning to jack up an enemy, then it is fabulous. So two easy spells. I know people don't always like hearing these. You don't have to use them, but it's good to know about them. So take your enemy's picture and stick it in a jar of molasses so that their endeavors will get stuck. This is not asking for their demise, but it might make things a little tricky for them. Also consider putting them in a can with screws or other things of junk like rocks or nails and shake that up so their world's a little noisy. So, you know, using this for someone who's making your life difficult at work, if your landlord's giving you a hard time, uh, your ex's ex's ex is coming at your house and threatening you, which happened to me once. Um, <laughs> Kanani had to help me plan that one to get out of that one. Um, you know, sometimes it's a good way to, to, to slow things down, jam it up. And these are not ways that are actually going to involve them uh, leaving this life force. If you're feeling really nice, um, I always recommend you can stick them in a jar of honey with a scoop of glitter. And then it's like, may you be surrounded by shiny, pretty things that make you happy. Um, but I'm a little jaded in my old age and I have a harder time finding that energy. Um, but if you don't want to jam anybody up, which is totally fine, I'm not doing that this week myself. Um, I would recommend this time just to give thanks and listing the blessings that you've recently received, really drawing in on the harvest energy. If you haven't had time to do your Lunasa rites yet, you haven't fully missed out. You've still got a few more days where the energies are really, really powerful. Um, you can still do your celebration, your bonfire, candle magic, or take your hike to a lovely hill. So yeah, this is a really good time to, uh, to take stock of what you 
what's really going well for you and letting the universe know, hey, I really like the stuff you've given me because in that way, the universe is inclined to give you more, right? Um, but you don't have to, and it's also just a, it's just a spiritually good practice is to reflect and, and remind yourself of everything that is going right in your life. It is um, a difficult moon to try to manifest things for yourself. And, um, but it is a really good time to, count the blessings and keep reaping them in. So that's my recommendation for this full moon. Nice. Well, I'm excited to do some of that magic. I'm, I'm not as good about the whole, like doing things with your enemies, mostly because once I'm done with you, I'm done with you. And I don't even want to think about you, but I do like to know I have options. Well, you, you, your life has, has wound itself in a way where you are able to avoid the people that you're done with, but there are other like there've been other times in my life where it was very difficult, you know, when I was doing a lot of art and I was doing a lot of things downtown that even if I wasn't like got that person off my MySpace page and took them out of my phone, they might still keep turning up at the places where I go. Right. Oh no. I definitely have had those people and I've definitely, uh, done some work so that our paths can cross less frequently because, it definitely sucks when it's someone that you know that you have absolutely no choice but to deal with on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And especially if this is somebody that's at your job, that's giving you a hard time. That's where I feel like we really grown up, which is where we find most of our troubles. We don't keep associating with people we don't like, but sometimes at work it happens, you know? I'm lucky I don't have that situation at my job right now, but, you know, others do. It's out there. Totally. And I like, I also think too, like, I mean, I've definitely had those experiences, you know, operating in a couple different communities where like in the performance art community, sometimes there's people where I'm like, Oh God, you know? Um, and you know, you can't really avoid them when they're in close knit communities sometimes. So like, I like that suggestion. Like for example, Hillary can't avoid me because I'm on the podcast, but she has tried so hard, but then I don't want to do a spell because then I'm like, what if the podcast ends? Like, so I'm stuck forever. Stuck forever. <laughs> I, although in the past, though, when I've had a really troublesome person, I did call Kanani and she helped me figure out we, ways to get rid of them um, that did not involve magic. Like the time that woman was stalking my, she, she was like literally going to my blog three, like seven times a day and rereading everything. She, this woman was so like, convinced that I was out for her and I had not spoken to her in almost like seven years, but I had a stat counter on my blog. And so I could see who was going to my blog. And, um, then I like saw that it was somebody from her job was coming to my blog like seven times an hour. And I was like, this is really creeping me the fuck out. This woman keeps coming. And Kanani was like, um, Kanani's normally just like, oh, just whatever. She's just psycho. But this time Kanani's like, she's going to show up at your apartment with a knife if you don't do something about this. So why don't you take a screenshot of all of her visits to your blog and post it as your blog post just so she knows you're aware? And I did. And she never came back again. And I still wish I could be there in the room when she saw that. I'm sure she was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is she going to do? Say to her friends, can you believe what this bitch did? Look what she did. To be like, how often are you looking at her blog? Like, yeah. She only posts once a month. Why are you going there seven times a day? Yeah, how, how, is she, how is she able to be like, can you believe she did this? Her friends would be like, whoa, you're a psycho. What is wrong with you? <laughs> See, I am, ex- I am an excellent resource 
for getting people to go the fuck away. Now, if you want to make friends, no, you, don't. you don't come to me. You don't. That's not what I'm. No, not, this is that's not what this is. If you want to know how to make you avoid you like the plague, let's be friends. Let's talk. I can help you. Hillary, you had a artist you wanted to talk about, didn't you? I did. So probably most of you saw on both of our, both our Instagram and our Facebook account, we posted a post, um, that had some art about witch aesthetics. There was like a forest witch and a hedge witch and a lunar witch, a kitchen witch, a sea witch, a cottage witch with all this, all these cute little illustrations. Well, that artist, uh, goes, her, her shop name is water of whimsy. Her name is Reagan and she's based in Ithaca, New York. Um, and she's, she's been, you know, her art was really inspired by like a, a witching hour inspiration that kind of woke her up out of bed um, and just started getting her to illustrate all these things that were popping out of her mind. She has an Etsy shop and she sells stickers and totes and prints and all sorts of cool shit. And everybody loved her illustrations, including me. So everyone that when we posted that, everyone totally freaked. They were like, oh my God, this is so great. And then I found her Etsy shop and was like, oh my God, I'm going to be broke. Um, so we'll put all of her info up, but her stuff is amazing. She offers so many different things. Um, and, and she's just the nicest human. Um, and I, I like am ordering a sticker pack and I am going to, um, probably order a tote as well. And probably a million other things because I'm obsessed with all of it. Um, but you can find her on, um, you know, she gratefully let us share her, her art, which is really beautiful. Oh, it looks like she just put up a new one for solar witch aesthetic. It's so like, it's like those um, images yeah, it's, remind me, these are templates yeah. for how to decorate your house. But yeah, these, <clears throat> if you haven't seen them, they're the prints that are like hedge witch aesthetic. And then it's like what boots you might wear, what your house might look like, what tea you might be drinking, what, you know, what type of craft you do. Yeah. It's really cute. And they're like really beautifully done. Um, and yeah, she does prints and then she has like a grab bag sticker pack, which like I'm a sucker for a grab bag. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to buy all of the things. So go check her out. Um, we'll link all of her, all of her, um, info in our, on, on our website. So yeah, go buy all of her things and show her the love because her stuff is just amazing. It's really beautiful and really sweet. And it, And it like, every time I looked at it, I was like, I love this. And our listeners really, really loved it. They were like, I'm this, or I'm a blend of this and this, or I'm a blend of all of these things, or I'm definitely a lunar witch. And you know, it's, it was really cute. So Kanani was like, definitely a water witch, definitely a sea witch. Oh, I am so a sea hag. Absolutely. (laughs) She's like, not sea witch, sea hag. There's also mugs and I'm like a real, I'm a kind of a mug hoarding fiend. Um, so yeah, I'm really, you're I'm a excited. mug witch. I'm a mug witch. I don't do anything else. I just mug mugs. Mug, <laughs> mug you are, you are so, I don't know. Cause I mean, you're so gardeny, but I, I don't know. You're so like good in the kitchen. You're such a kitchen witch. I, you know, cause I picture you like in the garden, making food, making tea. Like, I don't know. You're, you're totally a garden witch, but I can totally see you as we, a kitchen we were witch We're trying well. to decide what would like put the name on Hillary's aesthetic because mine is, um, witchy Joan Holloway from Mad Men and Kanani is soccer mom, <laughs> Morticia, Seahag. And Hillary might be, 
might be urban artist garden kitchen witch. <laughs> yes. But then you got to put like a little goth spin on there. I mean, like the thing is, is it's goth like, light. I goth just, light, I goth light. No, I'm not. I mean, like, I don't really know. <laughs> I said goth once and you're like, no, 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 I'm not goth anymore. I think, I think urban kitchen, I think urban witch kind of insinuates some goth. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We should take a poll. Okay. I mean, recovering goth is maybe the recovering goth. <laughs> recovering I'm a goth, goth. recovery. The twelve-step program. Hi, I'm Hillary. Yeah, and I'm a I'm a recovering goth. I'm a recovering goth, just like I'm a recovering Catholic school student, just like I mean, like. We definitely want to uh, thank all of our Patreons that we have and the people who have joined this week. Yes. There was a really cool discussion that we had with Christopher Penzak. Yes. About the importance of skepticism in witchcraft. Yeah, it was a really good one. Yes. And Hillary kind of discussed a little bit about how her coming out of the broom closet and I discussed the message that we received. I, I've when forgotten we, about that, Kanani. And I like you were. Had you really? Because I've been I have been obsessed with it. I couldn't stop thinking about it for the last year because of how it's like, what the hell? Um, when we did when we went to the beach last year, when we were kind of first starting the podcast and deciding where we wanted what we wanted to do with it and and all those things, and we did our spell down by the ocean, where we told everyone that witchcraft is messy. And we received like an amazing message and we kind of discussed that. So hopefully if you're one of our Patreons, you have already gone and seen that content and it looks like it is time for our sponsorship break. Yes. Yeah. We want to thank Keen for sponsoring this episode. Sometimes reading my own cards takes way too much effort. Luckily for me, I've got Keen. Keen provides access to vetted psychics and spiritual advisors who provide guidance and insight on life's challenges, clarity and love, relationships, career, and more. As a mom, I never know when I will have any time to myself, so I love that Keen advisors are available 24-7. There's always someone online, so you can easily schedule a call with an advisor. My advisor was Anastasia Christine, who gave me an incredible reading that was very helpful and personal. I felt like she immediately connected to my energy. To help you navigate your day-to-day challenges, Keen is kicking off National Psychic Week on August 2nd and celebrating mindfulness and well-being with exclusive promotions, access to experienced and talented Keen advisors, customized content, special offers, and more. Keen understands the importance of taking time to maintain spiritual and mental wellness, especially in today's current climate and Keen provides its advisors and its customers the tools to do so. Each week, Keen sends its users discounts on readings, making Keen one of the most affordable ways to receive multiple psychic readings. If you are a current Keen user, check your email this week to see the discounts, because who doesn't love a discount? As a new Keen customer and a fabulous listener of our podcast, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99. Pricing then depends on which advisor you choose, and the services are backed with a satisfaction guarantee. So if you want to try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, go to trykeen.com forward slash thatwitchlife. Keen, because you deserve answers. Thanks again to Keen for sponsoring this episode. 
All right. And we are back and we are super excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, she is the author of The Mythic Moons of Avalon. Uh, and her name is Jenna Tillendrew. She is an author, speaker, and educator. She is the founder of the Sisterhood of Avalon, a Celtic women's mysteries organization with worldwide membership, and is the academic dean of the Avalonian Theological Seminary. Jenna holds a master's degree in Celtic studies from the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, and did her undergraduate studies in archaeology. She teaches four-day residential training retreats around North America and the UK and facilitates pilgrimages to sacred sites in the British Isles and Ireland through Mythic Seeker Tours. She is a frequent presenter and guest speaker at academic conferences, religious symposia, women's spirituality gatherings, and pagan festivals. She is a priestess in the Avalonian tradition for over 30 years, and Jenna has been following a pagan path since 1986. So just a quick question. Will you be my new best friend? <laughs> well, it seems like you've got some pretty awesome best friends. Um, so that's that's a we really high bar for me to have. Why did I get fired? What did I do? I've been nice to you all morning. Yeah, but we all know that she'll just throw us out really quickly. If but something better comes along. You have yet to take me on a pilgrimage in a sacred site. And Jenna and I are going uh, to pilgrimage our little hearts out. We are. We are. I'm, I'm there. I've led two tours there and invited you, and you decide to have babies instead. So it is not my fault. That's true. That's true. It's a good trade-off. That's true. They're babies just for a short time. Yeah. And and then you get to go into the stone circles that have been around for 10,000 years. That's right. And then you appreciate it because no one is bothering you while you're there. See? (laughs) That's how this works. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenna. Um, I was really excited when Courtney... Uh, lent me her book that apparently I'm not allowed to steal, which makes me very no, angry. She signed it. She put my, that, that is the rule. I accept that if I lend a book to Kanani, I may not get it back unless the person wrote a really sweet note to me in the first pages, which Jenna did, but I'm nice. And I knew that Kanani would like the book. So I said, you can borrow this, but look, she wrote, she wrote to me in the front of it. She did. She wrote a nice note. I'll bet we could work out a nice note for you as Yay! well. But what we now know is that Courtney's going to fake nice notes in the beginning of her books so that Kanani will give them back. I know. And I've been looking at this, like, how can I make the Courtney look like Kanani? Like, can I, can I make this work so I can tell, although there's a big dog tooth bite in it. So I'm pretty sure I can't, I can't fake that. It's so pretty I, recognizable. Yeah, it's but that is a clever book book plate idea. Oh. Just instead of putting, you know, I had one of those, uh, what are those, those embosser yes. things as a child for my name. Yeah. So you just get everybody to sign your books and then <laughs> fabulous. You know, if the dog bites one of the books, he has a very good taste in books. He does. He eats my favorite. <laughs> every time. So like true. every time she's like, God damn it. And I'm like, well, it, he's in line with his good taste and in, in in witchcraft books. Yes, like the, the, the editors at Weiser and Llewellyn know and recognize him as a legitimate reviewer. 
That's hilarious. <laughs> look for Ichabod's reviews, which if you follow me on Instagram, you will eventually see like the shredded remains of a magic book that my got my dog got a hold of at some point. I think I've seen several of those. He could be like those, what are those, the, those birds that choose the winner of the Super Bowl or something? He could be the, <laughs> yes. the omen of best-selling books, perhaps. That's right. Oh, God. It's so funny how, how excited authors get when they see that Ichabod has eaten one of their books. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one little bite in mine, alas. You'll have to... Uh, Leave it closer to the ground. What I think happened is there was a stack of them and he was going through them one at a time. And I got home in time before he ate all of them. And there was like two on the floor. He's like, what? And I'm like, oh my God, you're eating all my books. He ate Jake Richards' Appalachian folk magic book. Uh (laughs) Backward Woodcraft is what he put. Yeah, that's the title. And he ate that. Like it's hilarious. Hilarious. Kids eventually stop chewing on your books. So there is that. I don't think dogs, do they grow out of that habit? Um, eventually some, to get some do. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's almost two. And I've given his breed. I'm, I'm thinking at least till four, we've got to, we've got to hide everything. Very so, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So Jenna, I want to ask you one of the things that we ask, uh, we kind of start off with all of our guests is how did you know, or when did you know that you were a witch or a magical person? Well, I mean, I've always loved mythology from when I was very little. And I used to daydream that I lived in ancient Greece so I could um, worship Athena. And it wasn't until I found a book by accident that I realized that there are other people like that. It wasn't just some kind of weird, um, you know, uh, fantasy of mine. So I guess I longed for that kind of connection to divinity from a young age. And then when I was 16, I found the women's spirituality book by Diane Stein. And it, it really changed my life, both uh, from the perspective of my spirituality and saying, yes, there are people who actually worship these goddess, gods and goddesses uh, today and also uh, my politics of feminism. So yeah, I guess that was it. So I, it's always been a part of me, but I never thought it could be anything more than just, uh, you know, a daydream until books. So I think that that's one of the things that kind of a lot of people find true is that there's some sort of belief that, that they hold and then it's when they find out that other people are like-minded that it kind of kind of creates that spark and, and where you no longer think, okay, well, maybe I'm not just a weirdo or I'm just crazy. Like, this is a thing. This exists in the world. Absolutely. And I, I often look back uh, to think what, how my life would have been different if there had been, for example, an internet uh, when I was, you know, born a billion years ago, because there's, there was no real clear way to build a community, uh, especially, you know, before being an adult at that time, you know, so it was just luck. And uh, when you made those connections and you treasured them. So I had that exact conversation with someone the other day, because, you know, growing up, like I didn't, we had... I don't think I had internet until after high school or at least not like consistent, you know, not like, not like we do now. And really like until I was in in my mid twenties, you know, it, it really wasn't, that was when like we were starting to have more, you know, the MySpaces and the other, you know, but it's like, yeah, I mean it, I guess MySpace was a little bit before that, but still like, I didn't grow up with that. And so like, I, I I wonder, I, I was having the same thought is like, you know, in all the experiences that Courtney and Kanani and I had when we were in our teen years, like if we would have had access to like the World Wide Web in the way that we do now, would that like have changed our what our our path looked like? You know. 
Well, literally, mm-hmm. our, what we had was the New Age bookstore where we had to lie and get on the bus and say we were going somewhere else and go downtown to the New Age bookstore. Um, or we had the Ouija board and we had the movie The Craft. That was it. That was like the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The trifecta. <laughs> I miss you. And I love a woman. I think the whole horrible thing is over. Come to Oregon. <laughs> I would love to. I told you. She's my new best friend. Stop. I got dibs. I already called dibs. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, I found out about the coven that I wound up uh, joining also kind of surreptitiously lying about where I was going to be because I was, um, I think, 18 or 19 by uh, a flyer on um, on the wall in Herman Slater's uh, magic, Magical Child. So that's how I found out from a flyer. It was really it was really analog those days, you know, analog uh, networking. So, um, yeah, the Internet, man, I was out. I had graduated from college by the time that started. I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty old. So it was, it was a, it was a revelation, a revelation. Absolutely. Can you, um, kind of chat with us a little bit about maybe some of the, uh, myths associated with or energies associated with the different cycles of the moon? So again, a hard question to answer because, um, there isn't, much of that kind of a correlation in terms of that in Brathonic myth that I'm aware of. It's uh, the beautiful um, poem. It's called um, Aranu or the, the sequence or the series. It's in Breton. Um, and it is a kind of a learning, a learning story where a druid and a, and a student are asking and answering questions back and forth. And it's about the numbers. So it's a numerological piece. And there is one where they talk about the number nine. And the number nine is associated with the nine dancing corrigan dressed in white around the fountain under the light of the moon. And the, and the mothers are groaning in their childbirth in the apple trees and, the, uh, and a sow is eating them. So there are these kind of uh, allusions to them. They're not really tying into the moon, specifically in the ancient cultures. But what I will say is that uh, that, that I'm aware of, just to say that piece. But um, the work that uh, the lunar work that we work on or I've worked on is more about correspondences, where we take myth and we take story and we take the energies around us and understand the ways in which one is a reflection of the other. Because I do think um, culturally, stories arise, myths arise, um, divinity forms arise based on the cultural need. And cultural need is a response to environment, to to weather, to uh, the seasons, to celestial things. And so there are indirect references to things, and we can find the ways in which they correspond. A myth is arising from a cultural space that is a reflection of um, the people's response to the land around them, to the weather things around them. So to look at story and find the ways in which they reflect a particular lunar energy is kind of the process um, that arose, for example, in Mythic Moons of Avalon, if that makes sense at all. Yes. So how do you use lunar energy in your practice? Well, again, it's that piece of, um, of correspondence. And for us, what we like to talk about is that the world around us, the cycles around us can be used, harnessed um, as a tool, as a loom upon which we can weave our practice. And so if we find and work with these energies, they kind of move us through our process. We align what, we're, what work we're doing with at what time of the month with what the moon is doing. So the Celts, for example, they began the year 
they began the day at the time when it ends. So at sunset, a new day began. At Kalangeyev or Samhain, one year ended and the new year began. So we begin at the third quarter moon, we descend. That's that place, that transition time where we enter into the dark half. So descent is when we look within ourselves and to see and begin that aspect of shadow work. And that has an alignment with the third quarter moon, that has an alignment with Kalangeyev. Then down to the dark moon, where we're looking into that dark reflective mirror to hopefully come to the root of understanding of shadow things and how to uh, unroot uh, un- them. Then up to the first quarter moon, which is associated for us with the energies of emergence out of the cauldron of the shadow work and into the building, the weaving of the torque of sovereignty. So we're looking forward at using that outward motion. How can we manifest aspects of our sovereignty? How can we reallocate energies that are tied up in things, patterns that are no longer serving us, and put that to use in other work, outward work, uh, that affects change in our lives and in the world around us. And the, the, the full moon is resolution. It's the bright, shining mirror of the uh, reflected light where we see the wholeness of uh, all that we have accomplished. We see things with true clarity, kind of that full harvest. And then there's always that sacred center, the sense that while we look at the moon and we look at the year as discrete pieces and we align lore and we align um, particular kinds of work, we're very um, inner work, the evolutionary kind of transformational consciousness. That sounds very new age, but I don't mean for it to be. That's a lot of the focus of the work that we do in the sisterhood. And then, uh, but that we need to see things as a whole. We break things down into pieces to understand them better, but our goal is wholeness not perfection. So there is a sense that the entirety of the cycle, um, seeing it from that perspective is just as important as its parts. I need a drink after. (laughs) Um, no, I think that that's, I think that's great. And you also talk about in your book, um, you know, the, the lunar correspondences of the cycle of healing and you discuss what you just discussed, the different, uh, cycles and, uh, you also assign to them, um, their elemental, Mm-hmm. Uh, correspondence. So descent would be water. Uh, the emergence is air. And you discuss kind of how to work with the moon in its different cycles. And I thought that that was really cool. You also discuss um, kind of the lunar keys mm-hmm. and the mythic map for personal transformation. Uh, I, I really do. One of the things I'm fond of saying is that myths endure because they have something to teach us. And I think because they're such big truths, the symbols of myth, the, the uh, again, both in the part and the entire journey of a story, um, can inform us in different ways. It can mean different things to different people throughout time and for different people just bringing their own selves to them. So if we look at the at mythos and we look at them seeking out a mythic map that, you know, what are the journeys that are laid out in these um in these tales? What, what is the big picture that it's trying to weave? How do I uh, embody that myth? How do I uh, see that my story in that story? It's a way that moves us forward. Again, it creates for us a, kind of a, um, uh, again, that, that sh- a structure, a loom that we can use to create, recreate ourselves. Because unlike some other ancient, uh, you know, or, you know, traditions of today that have, you um, received a lore, a body of lore, a body of ritual. Um, It's not quite the same thing in Celtic traditions. We have folk practices and things like that. So what are we going to rely upon? We don't know everything that they believed. We don't know how they interacted with their gods. Um, So what do we have? We have their stories. We have their myth. And so we can use this to harness that. All of that said, one of the most beautiful for me um, 
stories in Brythonic tradition is the spoils of the noon, where Arthur goes into the other world seeking the cauldron of the um, of the chief of Anun. And they describe this cauldron, which is warmed by the breath of nine maidens, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's dark with pearls around it, the pearl-rimmed cauldron that will not um, boil the food of a coward. It's a testing vessel. And to me, what image always came to me is that those moons around the cauldron, or the, uh, I'm sorry, those pearls around the cauldron are like the moons of the year, the cyclic round, and that each one of them holds a gift of, 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 um, of lesson, of, uh, of self-reflection. And so when we've mapped pieces of the stories of the goddesses of Welsh tradition um, to each of these moons, following the lunar round as it, as it manifests throughout the year, the 13 moons of the year, um, it, uh, it, it tells a story. It tells an evolutionary tale moving from the stories of, of Hrianon, I'm sorry, to, to, from Caridwen to Blodaiwith to Hrianon. And um, and then uh, the stories of uh, Arianhrod and Bronwyn, um, they they put together in such a way using correspondences, you know, fitting things in with times of the year that align with them and their tales. It gives us a map that is based in mythos. It gives us a map that is based in the landscape. So there is that piece of um, the herbal uh, piece that is, is tied in with this to help with those energetics. And then uh, it gives us a piece that is aligned with. Um, the work that we're doing, that inner quest that we're trying to uh, accomplish. I just love what you said about that myths exist because they have something to teach us. And because what Mm. I think it says to me in this is that the way people lived, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand years ago or earlier, you know, their, their challenges were different. Um, Their resources were different. The way they lived was very different, but what it meant to be human was still the same. The mm-hmm. idea of needing to overcome something that frightened them. What that might be, what might be very different than what it might be for us now, but there's still that, that sense of needing to, to choose courage, even when that's not easy. You know, the, the, the pain of loss, um, the, the, the seeking something as is in the grail, seeking something that um, is meaningful for you, whatever that specific thing is. And so I think that's where we can, um, I think sometimes people can disregard myth as just like it's, it's a falsehood. We even use the word myth to, mm-hmm. that's, that's not true, that's false. But myth is not about something being factually or historically accurate as much as it is a story about what it means to be human. That's what that's I'm hearing right. from what you're saying. Right. It's the difference between being real and being true. Did the stories happen the way they're, they're written? Probably not, especially considering that they travel down the stream of tradition through oral tales before they're finally written, whenever that happens. But oral tradition is living tradition, so the stories can take shape of the cultures that, you know, inherit them and pass them along, so they'll change as they go. But things that aren't relevant anymore don't get remembered. They don't get passed down. There's no reason for that to happen. Hryanan, uh, her story was written down. She's not depicted as a goddess, but she was very important to people when the stories are still being told. People, like you were saying, people still suffer loss. They suffer grief. Uh, there was just a giant war uh, that, um, you know, well, ongoing wars where a lot of people had lost, you know, loved ones uh, on the battlefield. And uh, the idea of Hryanan as the as a mother seeking her uh, or 
trying to overcome the loss of a child is, is a universal story that is just as important whether she's a divinity or not. And us looking back today can find resonance in that in our actual experience of child loss, but also in loss of innocence, loss of connection with the divine feminine, loss of connection with the earth, loss of connection, you know, those mother wounds that a lot of us process. So there are so many layers that we can engage with it even as the, what the story is, but you're so right in saying that um, it gets passed along because it's meaningful, it's transformational, and, and it's powerful. I also think that one of the reasons why um, magic and and lunar energy and the moon and things involving using the moon in practice, I think one of the reasons why that is, and and in my opinion, will always be incredibly powerful is because it doesn't really, it doesn't matter what point in history that you lived. Mm. It's the same moon. It's the same cycle. And so I think there's something very um, ancestral and primal and true to people when they, when they think about, you know, using the energy of the moon and lunar energy and following the cycles because although your life is completely different than someone who lived in, you know, 200 BC, they had the same moon cycles. They had the same, you know, they experienced the same, you know, similar seasons and, and things like that. And so there's something that's very interconnecting. It, right. There's that timeless constant that the moon represents. Exactly. And, and I think you're right about that. I think that I think our ancestors had to had to rely on the seasonal round, right, for their survival, for you know agriculture and animal herding and all of that happy stuff. Same thing, uh, the seasons, planting. I mean, planting plants. Agriculture is so lunar aligned. Uh, seafaring is so lunar aligned. It touches so much of us. You know, fertility can be lunar aligned. Um, but we're so you know, we can look up at the sky and say, oh, look at the moon. Uh, we're not as reliant consciously upon her cycles anymore. And I think that part of reaching back to that ancestral origin can be in learning to align ourselves with the moon. Just as you say, it is the same moon. It does hold that timeless reflection. It is that great mirror of humanity. Uh, you know, we can see it as an image of the collective unconscious, perhaps, you know, all of these people through time and space, you know, uh, collectively, you know, imagining, organizing the universe um, in their unconscious. And so the moon holds all of that. And so aligning ourselves, doing something as simple as really tying into the uh, the monthly round of uh, lunar cycles, seeing where we are throughout the year, uh, how late, how, how early does the moon rise or set, um, what point, point of the sky, the more we can become aligned with it in all of the ways we can mentally or, you know, tying into our energies, doing like lunar um, tracking throughout the month. Uh, and that doesn't just have to be if you're a cycling person, it could just be, um, you know, I feel more cranky uh, when the moon is dark and I have more energy for things when the moon is light. How how is the moon playing into this? How can I use that to understand my personal cycle? And I think the more aligned we become with cycle, it gives a rhythm to our lives that modern technology has not required us to have to pay attention to. And it just puts us in alignment with the greater cycle of things, moves us along on our path. That's such a good point because I think modern technology has given us many gifts. Like there's so many things that make our lives easier, but it has allowed us to, to step away from realizing that, you know, and seeing our, it's like, we have calendars that tell us what's going on. We have apps that tell us what's going on. We have, you know, so it's easy to forget what 
the moon tells us or what nature is telling us, what seasons right. tell us, you know? So I think it's a good reminder that those are, I mean, while it's nice to have these modern conveniences, undoubtedly, you know, um, that it's important to take that time and that energy to, to pay attention to the moon, to pay attention to the seasons and what that does to you, um, you know, physically, energetically, spiritually, so on and so forth. So agreed. And, and I think that we're, we're disconnected from nature, we're disconnected from each other, and we're disconnected from ourselves. And the more we see ourselves as part of something greater than us, the cyclic ground that we really are, you know, we're, I, I'm fond of saying we're a part of nature, not apart from it. So not only can it help us to understand how the world around us works, it can help us to understand the people in our lives, but it helps us to understand ourselves, understand that we also cycle in these ways and we get, can give ourselves permission to ebb and flow in our lives instead of feeling like I have to constantly be productive in order to be worthy of something to, to, you know, honor our, our cycles that sometimes we're in grief and sometimes we're in joy and sometimes we're, you know, conquering and sometimes we're self-care and it's a necessary piece. So it teaches us stuff, I think, broad spectrum. Um, and I think being uh, aware in connection with the world around us helps us to be in better compassion with ourselves and importantly, the other people in, in the world that we are, um, we are really in community with and don't realize. So I have a question. Um, so does your tradition align, name the different moons or, you know, throughout the year? So like for say the, the full moon that's happening on the day we release this on August 3rd, is there a specific um, term for that moon or rites that surround it? So yeah, so each of the moons does have a name that associates with it. Uh, they all have lunar keys. Uh, so there's an herb associated with it. There's a part of the goddess story associated with it. And then uh, there's that name. So the moon coming up for us, uh, this coming full moon, is the moon of consummation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is the height of the cycle. It aligns also, we use a lunar calendar for our um, holy days as well, for Celtic holy days. So this is um, Gwil Oust. It's the, uh, the festival of August. So it's Lunasa. It's the celebration of the bounty of the land, the, the union of, uh, of Rhiannon and, uh, and Pwil, uh, their final marriage after all of the things that they um, had to overcome in order for that to take place. So uh, it, is a, it, is a, it is a triumph. It is a, um, it's a celebration of where we've become of what we become and where we have come. And um, yes, so we do have particular traditions around that. And one of the things we do spiritually uh, at our altars is we create a corn dolly um, to represent that person that we have become. This is the height of the year. From this point, the year wanes. So for the waning part of the year on our altar is our dolly that says, she who I have become. As we begin to descend down again into, um, you know, towards winter, we want the thing that's going to inspire us and remind us that our journeys have been fruitful, that we have had full harvest. And then at the opposite point, the nadir of the year at uh, uh, Wilmere, or, you know, in bulk, I suppose, uh, it is who I shall become, that dark part of the year, um, the the most death of winter. That's how we see it. I know it's a little different in other, in other traditions. It's that it's the dark moon before the first sliver of the moon that comes right that next day. So we, uh, we acknowledge and honor the, the darkness and the, and the depth of the shadow and the work that we've done. And in that place, create that seed of newness that grows out of it as the cycle begins to wax again. Uh, she who I shall become. So there is that piece there that we have that, um, harvest and fallow, um, dichotomy. Aren't you glad you asked? I am. I am glad. You don't understand. We're like hanging on your every word. We just (laughs) love it when you go on your riffs. Like that's 
We're just we're just the flies on the wall, just excited to have you answer these questions. I know. So. I was like, yes, I love that. You know, I was like, this is so cool. I'm learning something new. You know, like, <laughs> well, you're very kind. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm always very interested in um, mm-hmm. in lunar energy and and moon energy and how people work with it because, like I said, to me, it is it, it's just it's so universally consistent. And it's something that's been important to essentially every culture and civilization of all time. And it's only been in the more modern times where, like you said, we, we kind of have the convenience that we, it doesn't necessarily dictate our lives in the way that it once did uh, in other time periods or still does in certain civilizations mm-hmm. that exist in the world. Uh, and so I think that there is something to be said about the value of, of getting back to, uh, even in our modern times, getting back to kind of being more in tune with just the natural energy and cycle of life. Agreed. And one of the things I love about lunar energy is that it is a reflective energy. It's an inward kind of, it, 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 it invites us to engage through the unconscious, through, you know, that those lunar e- essences. So it allows us to do this kind of uh, inner uh, alchemy that uh, the work of, of engaging with shadow and in building our sovereignty um, um, invites us to take, right? So it is about, you know, you find everything that you need to find out there is a reflection of what's within. And the same is true. We can find the divine within us by going on this inner path. And the more we can touch that within us, the more we're able to see it in the world around us. And the opposite is true as well. If we're not able to connect on a personal level, being in nature and following the rhythms as we can observe them can help us to uh, do that reverse um, journey into ourselves as well. They're balancing each other. And I think it's an empowering and important piece to recognize that uh, we make changes outside of us that reflect within us right? It, it affects us. And the same thing is true. When we change what is within us, it affects how we engage with and see what is without us. So both of those processes are really, really important, I think, and uh, help us to come into alignment with our, our authentic selves and, and clear us away for a good relationship with the divine. So we have a listener question that, that we were hoping you could mm-hmm. maybe help us answer. Uh, and the, the question that wrote in was, I had a dream of Morgan sitting three gravestone rows from a white building. She told me in a lucid dream state to help they who lie here. Three weeks later, a spirit approached me in dream and it played out like this. I awoke in a red cross cot with a, oh, in a red cross cot with a man sitting above me. We spoke slightly. Then I said, don't leave me, John. He replied, I'll never leave you, brother. I started looking up John Brown as I got the feeling and recorded the dream in my dream diary. I started driving around cemeteries in the area. I figured out the graveyard. Morgan told me I was in the right place. None of my family had ever been in the graveyards here as we had moved. I told my wife I couldn't find the man, never telling her his name. She told me I'm John's guide, never hmm. sharing his name. So I went home and got her. Storms moved in that weren't predicted, and we drove around. She started to cry and said, he's here. 
Four graves up in front of an old white building sat the grave of John H. Brown and Bessie, his wife. My wife couldn't approach. She was crying too much. And Thor rolled the thunder and it poured rain like her tears. My question after all of this, should I give this, give into this call and journey down this dark path helping spirits or what? My wife and I are both a little taken aback. Morgan is calling us and it scares me. Wow, that's an incredible story, I have to say. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... The thing that arises for me around all of this is the Morrigan in her guise as, as psychopomp. You know, her crows uh, coming, to the, uh, coming to the battlefields, um, you know, to escort the, the souls of the dead um, to the other world. Uh, so a very, very literal psychopomp. But she's also a, a sovereignty goddess and uh, invests the... Um, the, the, the rulership of the land with the king. So it, that's also a psychopomp um, kind of a, uh, a role, I think. Any threshold uh, place, any threshold uh, action uh, has that, um, the guardian of that and that uh, psychopomp um, role that she plays to invest the king, to reinvigorate the land. We have a lot of these kinds of sovereignty myths in uh, Brythonic tradition as well. So it is a very clear, very, uh, um, I mean, uh, straightforward dream to give such specific information and have somebody find it. I mean, I'm just blown away by that. But, I, I, you know, I think the person's yeah. question is, uh, is interesting because, you know, going down this dark path, I think being in service to spirit in this way, if there, this is a call, perhaps it's a call to act as that psychopomp, to envision perhaps or, in, or ask Morrigan's uh, assistance in uh, envisioning those uh, or having those crows come to... Uh, you know, help that person release for some reason. So, I mean, she has a very specific mythos, and I, I you know, I am not the uh, the Morrigan um, expert on this uh, on this podcast here, but uh, it, it's my I would suspect that um, uh, that may be what she's requesting him to help this person with. Um, that there's this strong connection and uh, um, uh, emotional uh, reaction to it is is uh, is quite powerful. So that's that's where I'm coming from with it. Yeah, I, I appreciate, um, Jenna, you bringing up the, the role of the Morgan as a psychopomp. And I feel that's what she's doing here. For those that are not familiar with the term, it's psychopomp is someone who um, guides and assists the souls from one world to the next. And um, I can I fully understand why this is, has taken um, our listener aback. But I think I would not I would caution you not to look at this as anything bigger mm. than this one spirit right now that it, that you're, you know, you, you took the Morgan's message of you know, help they who lie here. And I, I'm seeing that you interpreted that as that you're supposed to help all the souls that come to you. Well, that's just not true. And also I'm wondering if it's just, it may be that there's just this one spirit who would like to make connection with you. And the Morgan was facilitating an introduction. So my sense is um, make an offering to the Morgan, say, thank you so much for introducing me to this, this spirit. And I would work on getting to know this individual spirit better tend their grave, uh, visit them, bring them flowers. Um, you know, you, if you can find, if you, if you can find a picture of them somewhere in some kind of genealogy thing, that's great. If not, um, even just taking a picture of their tombstone and putting it on your ancestor altar and mm. welcoming them in, you know, or near your ancestor altar, if you're not ready to put them on there and just start getting to know them. You know, this is, I think sometimes when we have introductions with the spirits, they are so jarring and we tend to think of them as, 
I'm being called to this major service. Well, that's as a little bit like as if you meet someone and you shake their hand and then they say, we should get coffee sometime. And we interpret mm-hmm. that as they want me to marry them. I, I think that we need to take it. It's possible you could end up in a lifelong relationship with the spirit, with this goddess or what have you, or it's possible you just become friends. And so I would spend your time with this individual spirit and don't look too far into it right now, except the fact that there is a, an, a, a, cognizant spirit who has a connection with you and in your dream the spirit says they want to help you too there's a relationship here right so start by getting to know them and then clearly you're you know the spirits come to you through dreams so john i'm sure will come back um and give you give you more insight into what's going on and there may be more opportunities for you the morgan may have more psychopomp work for you in the future or this may be the only time so don't freak yourself out too much. You are not signing on for a life of, of service to the Morgan for psychopomp work unless you said that in ritual with her and that's on you. But if it's just this dream, just get to know the spirit, but definitely make an offering to the Morgan to say, thank you so much. That was really incredible. When you have experiences like this, you know, doing this thing or following through with this thing that you were so drawn to doesn't mean, yeah, that like you've suddenly signed your life away to the Morgan. Like, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not really how it works, um, in my opinion. And I think that you also get to have some boundaries in your relationships mm-hmm. with spirits and deities. Um, and I, and again, you know, she, I agree with Courtney, like maybe you'll be called to do more of this, but it's not like, you know, by doing this one thing, you're signing your life away to do this all the time, every day of your life. And you're going to have to quit your job and do this. You know, it's, it's, um, in my experience, that's kind of not how it works. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't jump so far as to think that this is anything more than this one specific incident, but I definitely think that the fact that, you know, you clearly, this was a person, clearly you found this person. This is, this was a fairly succinct message, um, to follow that and see what comes of that and see if you can learn more about this person. And the fact that I would even be interested because at some point this, you know, John, you know, called you brother, you know, which can be a literal term or it can be something that, you know, is kind of, uh, if people are in the military or at battle, they can refer to each other as brothers, even if they're not literally brothers. So this isn't necessarily, but I mean, I, myself, I would, I would go exploring what you could find of this person and see if maybe there's a reason this person, you know, isn't, isn't at rest, or maybe even this person had no next of kin. And this is someone that didn't want to be forgotten. And, and now, you know, you're being introduced to them as someone who can kind of learn about them and, and carry them on. But I mean, I would just take this as, you know, a journey and just see where it goes. You gals are brilliant. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like, I'm like, that's nice to hear actually, because you're like, most of the time we're like, are we idiots? We're kind of idiots. No I'm kidding. <laughs> so Jenna, can you uh, kind of let us know and our listeners know what is the best way for people to kind of find what you're doing and, and keep in touch with you? Well, I am on all the social medias. I'm on the Twitter and uh, Facebook and the Insta, you know. But uh, I do have a website. It's uh, inisavalon.com. So that's uh, Y-N-Y-S-A-F is in Frank, A-L-L-O-N.com. Um, but uh, I have a pretty unique name. So if you just type me in, you'll find me. And, I, and I'd love to, I welcome contact 
uh, and questions from anyone. And uh, yeah. Well, I also really recommend our listeners, all of whom who identify as female, to consider looking into Sisterhood of Avalon. It's a, you know, very, you all had do such um, deeply spiritual, but also very scholarly work. And um, I just found it to be a very grounded, powerful community. And you all have a conference coming up online this fall, right? We do indeed. We have our fifth annual um Ninefold Festival, which is uh, usually in person, but it is um, remote this time around. So that opens the space for lots of people to attend. And our keynote this year is Courtney. It's me. Oh, geez. We're all excited. We're so excited. We had the, we had the fortune of uh, her coming to present last year. Oh. Um, and she, she taught some about uh, Bridget and everybody just fell in love with you as well, I have to say. So the, uh, so the affair is, uh, is mutual. And, um, and we were just so happy to invite you back. Uh, it was a year. really wonderful time. I was, I'm still upset that I had to leave before the ritual because I had to go fly to Atlanta for work. But it's, it was just a really... Um, Jen, I remember when I was telling you, I said, I'm manifesting that I can keep doing the work I do, but travel less. <laughs> yeah. Wait a moment, Courtney. Seriously. My thing was I need to, I need to spend more time tending the home fire. I've been traveling too much. Yes. Kind of, kind of similar to you. And, uh, ta-da. So I guess, uh, I guess we collectively oh, needed it. Yeah. It's hysterical. I thought I'd be like, well, I got what I wanted. Okay. Sorry, world. Courtney, of course, she was telling me about your festival this fall and she was describing all of it. And I was like, oh, I have to do that. That sounds like so much fun. She's like, oh, you're going to love it. And so I was totally sold on it. And, and I, I plan on attending the, the, virtual, the virtual festival. And she's like, guess who the keynote is? <laughs> Damn it. This is, how she, this is how she gets me. <laughs> she tells me I'm excited, and then she's like, "And I'm gonna be there." Damn it! That's just bonus points, though. No, uh, bonus uh, points. She, she's she's my biggest fan. She I, just doesn't want to admit it. I We've been tell. friends since we were twelve, so I've heard her talk plenty. <laughs> and I'll and I have no doubt I'm going to spend the next eighty years listening to her talk. So. <laughs> Fortunately, she has a lot of good things to say, and she's funny yeah. as hell. And so are all of you. I'm just, uh, I'm just, you guys are great. I love it. Love it so much. Well, we have absolutely, we've loved having you on. And like I said, I, I adored your book. I, I, just like Courtney said, we will post the link, you know, for all your information as well as the festival. I think that um, I, I'm super excited to be attending it. I'm excited that a lot of these. Uh, events are going virtual as opposed to not happening mm-hmm. because I feel like there's so much um, that people can gain from these experiences. So I'm really excited that people are finding new innovative ways to kind of keep them going. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. We are now on Patreon. If you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, you can buy us a coffee or you can purchase handmade That Witch Life merchandise from our Etsy store. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so be sure to follow and keep in touch. For show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question, To answer on future episodes, you can go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye! Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes and ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So, mote it be. Oh, no, 30 seconds.
seriously, I was at my friend Wendy's house and I was on an acid trip. Um, <laughs> like somebody gave me this Furby and I'm sitting under a willow tree and our friend Wendy was trying to make my trip a really nice thing. And then this person that I used to be friends with was there. I was angry that I did not share my half tab of acid with them. And so they were trying to ruin my trip by telling me that this blade of grass was talking to me. Oh, and God. I was like, listen, I am aware that the blade of grass is not talking to me, but the fact that you are trying to make me think it is, is really bothering me right now. And he wouldn't stop. So I took the Furby and I threw it at him. Yes. And and then the Furby like started having a seizure or something. It was like, that's awesome. And everybody was like, Oh, Courtney, you really hurt the Furby. (laughs) That's hilarious. We're recording. You know that, right?